This is episode number 132 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a truly conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. Unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. And we also have to write an awful lot more often than everybody else is. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual One Pod. Well, uh, things are going uh, pretty much exactly as we feared, although thankfully, at least so far in the big picture, without the massive repercussions of civil unrest and destruction, at least so far, uh, that's almost a, w- a weird oddity of what we're witnessing right now in America. We have this incredibly bizarre and unprecedented situation where the election is over, the victor is clear, Joe Biden won, but the incumbent president of the United States refuses not only to concede, refuses to accept basic reality. He's living in an alternative universe, and he's being enabled in doing that by people around him, not all, but many, as well as those in his sections of the news media, as well as huge portions of his political base. And it's a bizarro world. It's an absolute bizarre world where the president of the United States continues to claim that he won the election, he won the election easily, and that this whole thing was a fraud, that the election was stolen, and yet here we continue to go on as if nothing is going to happen, nothing bad is going to happen because of this insanity, that on January 20th of 2021, Joe Biden is going to be sworn in as president of the United States, and everything's going to be just fine. Uh, who knows whether or not uh, Trump is even going to be there, whether there will actually be an official concession, although I think we had an unofficial concession in the last couple of weeks, which I'll get to in just a moment. But uh, that, you know, there's not going to be any con- continuing problems with the transition, despite the fact that the incumbent president is not giving up power and even now condemning his own. Department of Justice for for not uh, finding out that there was massive voter fraud here. I mean, these are bizarre situations, unprecedented circumstances. We're playing with fire here. We are playing with fire. So far, luckily, even despite the unique circumstances of the pandemic, that fire has not caught on. It is clear that the circumstances are ripe for to be a, a social fire, if you will, massive unrest. But luckily, we have not seen that. But Trump is doing his best to create those circumstances or to facilitate that possibility. Now, let's go back in time. We did not do a podcast just before Thanksgiving. And it was the day before Thanksgiving when Donald Trump decided that he was going to do exactly as we said he would. And this was hardly difficult to predict. But he started with his pardons, his post-election pardons. And he very prominently pardoned Mike Flynn, who was supposed to be his first national security advisor, I guess technically was, and ended up being fired because he lied to the FBI about interaction with the Russian ambassador during the transition. 
and Trump chose the day before Thanksgiving to pardon him. Now, my first thought on the Michael Flynn pardon was, isn't this effectively Trump conceding the election? Correct. Because there's no need to pardon Michael Flynn if you actually have thought you have won and you're still going to be president for another four years. You only do this, especially since there was there was nothing imminently happening in the Michael Flynn case that uh, facilitated a, a pardon. Now, Trump tried to pretend that this was a Thanksgiving Day gesture. I guess that was the best he could come up with. But effectively, this is a going out of business sale. This is the beginning of a going out of business sale for the Trump presidency. Correct. And that's why uh, he has started with the pardons. You don't need to do the pardons if you thought you won. But Trump, I believe, knows he lost. He certainly knows he's not going to be declared the victor by any uh, credible source. And so he's going ahead as if he has lost. And part of that is to use his last real power. I mean, he's effectively been stripped of all of his real powers. I mean, he can't even get on television really anymore. Uh, I mean, Twitter won't let him tweet things without being censored or at least muted or have disclaimers on his Twitter feed. I mean, he's, he's really barely president of the United States right now, except when it comes to the power of pardons and commutations and maybe a few other things, and it, which is really a remarkable thing considering how important this period of time is. We have, we have a vaccine that the federal government is going to be distributing within the next couple of weeks, it looks like, uh, which is an extraordinary operation, never been done before to anywhere close to this level. And, and we have a president that is a, effectively a eunuch, that he has no ability to do anything, but for some bizarre reason, and I, I do not believe this is what our founding fathers intended. It certainly is not effective, but I, th- this, this post-election pardon power that is completely unregulated is, is absolutely and totally— It's just flat-out ridiculous. It, it's absurd. I mean, there really ought to be—there ought to be a period of time where a president does not have uh, ultimate pardon power. And and after losing an election is probably a pretty fair period of time to put a restriction on the pardon power of the presidency, because then that's basically a king. Effectively, that's a king right there. And, uh, you know, and especially when the president, in this case, Trump, is more than willing and he was already ready, willing and able to do this before the election. We've seen this on numerous occasions. Now, he doesn't pardon nearly as many people as past presidents have, but when he does it, it's almost always about him, which is hardly a surprise given who Donald Trump is. Correct. But the reality is he's more than willing to do this for friends, for people who might have bad information on him. He, he's using it as a personal weapon, and, and that's something that a monarch does. That's something that a dictator does, not as was intended as the president of the United States. Now, let's be clear. This has been a long time in coming. It's, it's, this is the way the slippery slope works. I'm a big believer in the slippery slope. You know, Bill Clinton made some awful pardons after uh, he was uh, his term in office was over in the last couple of months, actually the last day of his office, and most famously Mark Rich. Uh, but there were others as well. 
Barack Obama did some. George W. Bush did a couple that were were questionable, though not as much as his vice president, Dick Cheney, wanted him to do. Uh, but this has been a long time and going coming. Trump is just taking this to a completely different level, and it's expected to continue. I mean, there were reports in The New York Times and on ABC News that Rudy Giuliani and Trump family members have been discussing with the president preemptive pardons. Pardons for things that they haven't even been charged with yet or or actually officially accused of, Uh, which, of course, raises all sorts of questions. It's not just the the issue uh, of, uh, you know, giving friends and family uh, pardons, which is as swampy as you get, especially for a guy who got elected claiming he was going to drain the swamp. Uh, But it also goes to the issue of, okay, why do they think they need pardons if they didn't do anything illegal? And so, you know, there, there's so there's that element of the issue here. You know, to me, the, the Flynn pardon indicates that Trump knows he lost. It, it also indicates that he knows that he himself might be vulnerable and he's trying to keep people quiet and trying to reward people who stuck by him. That's uh, you know what the Rudy Giuliani situation could be about, as well as Trump family members like Donald Trump Jr. But as far as the Flynn pardon itself, I, you know, I don't want to belabor it. But I and because I've said this before in this podcast, I have no sympathy for Michael Flynn. Now, I am more than open to the idea that Michael Flynn got a raw deal, that he got himself in a bad situation and that the, there was overreach by the federal government, by the FBI. That is certainly possible. But you cannot get around a couple of very important facts. Michael Flynn pled guilty twice, twice. He pled guilty twice. Correct. He had very good representation. He had plenty of resources. This is not a 16-year-old black kid in the inner city with a public defender. Right? This is Michael Flynn, President uh, Trump's buddy, a guy who Trump clearly had a, a lot of affection for, and uh, plenty of resources. He pleads guilty twice. And then Donald Trump, it should be noted, tweeted well after all this, well after he, he knew the, all the facts, well after James Comey had been fired as the head of the FBI, so you can't even claim that he, Trump was being duped by a deep state FBI conspiracy, Trump tweeted that he had to fire Flynn because he lied to the FBI about the circumstance that I already told you about. So the idea that Flynn is somehow a totally innocent man who uh, has been railroaded by the federal government, who is trying to, I guess, I guess the theory is, pull off some sort of coup against the newly elected president. It, it's just completely and totally... It's just flat out ridiculous. And, and I have friends, I have a very, very close friend who's actually working on a movie exonerating Mike Flynn. And he, you know, I almost won't even speak to him about this because I know we're going to get into arguments. So I have people close to me who are very much on the pro-Flynn side, uh, and I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. Again, there are far greater injustices. I'm not saying that there, there weren't irregularities, that, that maybe he got a raw deal, uh, but he was never even going to go to prison. I mean, so when it comes to all the outrages that we've seen, especially this year, the Michael Flynn situation doesn't even rate, and it doesn't deserve a presidential pardon, especially in a post-election period. Now, it, it, well, there's another element of the Flynn pardon that I'm, I'm really— baffled is not getting enough attention. And to me, it's incredibly obvious and simple. And that is who Michael Flynn's lawyer is. 
Michael Flynn's lawyer is Sidney Powell. Well, Sidney Powell is the woman who has been leading the, the batshit crazy charge on behalf of Trump claiming election fraud. I, I mean, really? Seriously? You cannot be serious! So, so here we have an inherent conflict of interest. An inherent conflict of interest. When you're Sidney Powell and you have your, your most prominent client who uh, is effectively hoping for a pardon from an outgoing president, and you are the most public, most voracious fighter for his claims without evidence of election fraud and claiming that he really won. And now she's, I mean, she's gone completely batshit crazy. I mean, she is, she's completely and totally insane. You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? The reality is that she has no evidence. She's never released the Kraken that she keeps promising. And, and now she's, she's saying that the president, this is after the Flynn pardon, because, boy, she, I guess she was very appreciative of the Flynn pardon. She, she's now saying that President Trump ought to cancel the election, cancel the inauguration, and create some sort of military tribunal to investigate the whole thing. You cannot be serious! Uh, this, this is, that's, that, that's a third world country. And this is Sidney Powell. People who, who I had people tell me constantly right after the election, well, she's a credible person. She would never put her personal esteem and credibility and reputation on the line for something that wasn't true. Bullshit. Bullshit. People get addicted to attention. And by the way, it might be more than just being addicted to attention and trying to please Trump, uh, one for her client, maybe for her own self-interest. Uh, it's also possible she's crazy. She, she may be fucking nuts. And, uh, and, and the Trump team even threw her under the bus just before they gave the Flynn pardon, which I thought was hilarious. They, they made it very clear she is not part of our team anymore. Or they didn't say anymore. They, they pretended that she was never part of the team, but she actually was based upon public pronouncements. But, but this is the, the, the type of person who is the cheerleader for Trump's claims of uh, election fraud. And, uh, and so the, the Flynn pardon, I think, was a, a, a critical moment as this situation radically changes here, where Trump starts to realize he has lost, that there's no hope really for winning, and that he needs to start acting like an outgoing president, which means protecting himself, protecting his friends, all while pretending, because he needs to pretend to the cult, that there's still a chance he's going to win. I love the poorly educated. I mean, the reality is he'll come up with anything he can just to keep the cult from realizing he lost. All I know is what's on the Internet. And so, so uh, he, you know, he's made some pronouncements that are very, very similar to somebody who is starting to get desperate, who is starting to realize that the end is near, almost a, a Hitler in the bunker type mentality. That The interview that he did with Maria Bartiroma uh, from Fox News Channel, which we'll get to momentarily, is certainly an example of that. But but for, before we get to the interview with Maria Bartiromo, I, I do want to play the, this clip of, of Trump, uh, which got a lot of play, <laughs> partially because he was he gave this statement to the press, or he was in response to an inquiry from a member of the press, in a very small desk. <laughs> it almost looked like a school child's desk. And he was roundly mocked for that. But I, I was more interested in 
the meltdown aspect of this. This is this is Trump uh, clearly uh, now uh, you know, no longer really fully president, having been at least partially, if not totally castrated, lashing out at a member of the press. And this certainly sounded to me uh, like a guy who knows that his power is coming to an end very, very quickly. I mean, they have Biden beating Obama on Obama's vote in areas that mattered in terms of the election, in swing states. And yet he's losing to Obama all over the place. But he's beating Obama in swing states, which are the states that mattered for purposes of the election. So, no, I can't say that at all. I think it's a, it's a possibility. They're trying to, look, between you people, don't, answer, don't talk to me that way. You're just, a, you're just a lightweight. Don't talk to me that way. Don't talk to, I'm the president of the United States. Don't ever talk to the president that way. All right, I'm going to go with another question. Go ahead. That's not a guy who feels particularly secure in his place or his position or uh, the idea that he's going to be serving four more years as president. If you're really president, you don't need to remind anybody of it. (laughs) But when you start uh, reminding people, hey, I'm president of the United States, don't you dare talk to me like that. That's an indication uh, that your confidence level is diminishing uh, fast. Now, as far as the substance of the beginning of that uh, particular statement from the president. This has been a consistent theme by Trump. And I, I'm, I find this to be laughable. I mean, it's all laughable, but you know, there, it's laughable that there's no evidence of actual massive voter fraud. Let's be clear, we're not talking about a super close election, all right? Some of the things that the Trump people are talking about would be relevant If this was 2000, the 2000 election, and we were dealing with one state, Florida, where the difference was significantly less than a thousand votes. All right. A a state of well over 20 million people at that time uh, where, where, where you had a difference. It got down to like 640 votes, a tiny amount of fraud or irregularities or, you know, or the, you know, the, the chads, remember that, or, or some sort of mistake. I mean, any minor issue in a state that large can make up 640 some votes. That's not what we're dealing with here, folks. It's not close to what we're dealing with. For Trump to somehow win this election, he has to flip at least three states, three large states, none of which have margins that are even close to the realm of minor irregularities being the difference between winning and losing. So it's absurd on its face. It's absurd. The the, the claim is absurd on its face. He's not in the ballpark. He's nowhere near the ballpark. He can't even get in the ballpark, okay, for for a claim of election fraud or irregularities or mistakes that are often, you know, they're just natural. I mean, you can't do an election with as many people as we have in as large areas we have and have it be 100% perfect. If you did, it would take, you know, how many months to count the votes, which is what happens here in California anyway, but I digress. The, the reality is that we're not even close to the realm of this being an election that could have been decided without massive systematic, easily proven voter fraud. So that's the first level of absurdity. But the next level of absurdity is the explanation that Trump is throwing out there that somehow inherently 
inherently it's absurd that Biden got the vote totals that he did. Now, this is a, an argument that seems to resonate with, with a lot of Trump fans, because I get it a lot on Twitter and Facebook. Like, John, come on. The guy couldn't uh, draw flies to his rallies. He's boring. No one loves him. There's nowhere near the passion for him that Barack Obama had. There's no possible way he got way more votes than any other candidate in the history of the United States. I get how to a, uh, I don't know, my eight-year-old daughter, that might actually be an argument that makes some sense. Uh, and I guess that's the, that's the target audience for uh, the, the Trump forces here. I love the poorly educated. But it doesn't make it remotely rational. It doesn't make it right. And when he went on with Maria Bartiroma, again, via the phone, I mean, this is how, I mean, the president of the United States, it really does feel like Hitler in the bunker. I mean, he's calling from his bunker in the White House. It's not even a good phone connection. You're going to hear in this interview that you can actually hear him on an echo. I mean, so the president of the United States can't even get on Fox News Channel in an effective fashion. Uh, which, again, I keep using the Hitler in the bunker uh, metaphor. I'm not comparing him to Hitler. He's not Hitler. I'm talking about the, the circumstances surrounding Hitler's demise and when, when everyone's surrounding you and you start to lose the ability of command and control even over your own forces. And, you know, in Hitler's case, it ended up in his own suicide. Who knows where it's going to end up here with Donald Trump. But here we're going to play three clips from this Maria Bartiroma batshit crazy interview. And here's the first one where uh, Trump tries to make his argument that there's just it's just not possible. It's just not possible that Biden got this many more votes than Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. And, and listen carefully at the end how flustered Maria Bartiroma is as she tries, I guess, uh, to, you know, to fluff up uh, what's left of, of Donald Trump's presidency for reasons I have no understanding of, but she's doing it. And here's what it sounded like uh, last weekend. Joe Biden did not get 16 million more votes than Barack Hussein Obama. He didn't get it. Joe Biden did not get what? 14 million more votes than Hillary Clinton. And by the way, he didn't beat Obama in the black uh, communities. You go to some of these communities where Obama is very, very popular, and he beats them in some of these communities, but all throughout the rest of the United States, in a black community, he does, he does actually poorly. He doesn't do very well. But he beats Obama in well, swing states. Now, think of that. He beat Obama in swing states. You know that didn't happen. They stuffed the ballot box. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that. This is, this is some of the... Uh, you know, impossible statistics that we have found. And this is from the Federalist article. Uh, they call it Biden magic. And they list uh, a, a number of, of, of ways that Joe Biden magically outperformed election norms. They include 80 million. All right. Now, this idea that somehow there was Biden magic and that these numbers are inherently implausible. Look, I, I get the idea that when you have a, a, a result that is fantastical, that it could raise questions. But these results are not fantastical for very logical reasons. The first that Trump refuses and his cult really refuse to accept is the one that I've been talking to you about 
on this podcast for almost two years. And that is that Donald Trump is hated at unprecedented levels in this country. In my lifetime and probably ever, we have never had as many Americans viscerally hate their president as they do with Donald Trump. Correct. Hatred is an enormous motivator. It is one of the primary motivators in human beings. Sometimes good, by the way, sometimes bad. But hatred is a huge motivator. So, yes, no one has ever denied that there is enormous passion on the Trump side, that the Trump cult is far more passionate for Donald Trump than any Republican of my lifetime and probably ever. You could argue that the Trump cult is even more passionate than the Obama cult was when he won twice. No, I think it's possible. And I thought I'd never seen it. I would ever see anything like the Obama cult. There was absolutely an Obama cult, but the Trump cult might be even more passionate. And the size of the Trump cult might be larger than the Obama cult, uh, which is, is really remarkable. But what motivated Biden voters was not love of Joe Biden. It was hatred of Donald Trump. Correct. And that's not difficult to understand. That's why he got so many votes. Now, there are other elements of this. The biggest being, guess what we had in 2020 that we didn't have in previous elections? Obviously, because of the pandemic, we had basically universal mail-in voting. And so it was never easier to vote than it was in 2020. And therein lies really the essence, one, of why Biden got so many votes, as well as why Trump and his fans are so confused about the way the results came in. It's not illogical even in the slightest. It makes perfect sense, especially when you consider how scared out of their minds Democrats are of the pandemic and COVID in comparison to Republicans who much more so are looking at this as not that big of a deal. And therefore, it's not a problem to actually go to the polls on Election Day and vote in the normal process. And then there's this other issue, which I find it hilarious that Trump and and Bartiroma almost accidentally raise. I I honestly don't know if they're stupid enough or if they're just pretending to be dumb and they realize that their their audience isn't smart enough, smart enough to figure this out. But this idea that somehow, well, there's no way that in swing states, that in swing states, that Biden's votes, especially among black people, would be so much better than in prior elections for Democrats, including Barack Obama, who's obviously black. Well, uh, hold on a second here. That's a, that's asinine. The idea that people don't understand that they're in a swing state and that therefore their vote matters far more is absurd. It, it, it is. It's just flat out ridiculous. You're presuming that people in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania didn't know that their votes were going to count far more 
than someone in New York, Illinois, or California? And, and therefore, their motivation to vote, especially if they hate Donald Trump, was far greater? I mean, that's, that's obvious. And, I mean, it was, in, incredibly, uh, it was an incredible focus of the media attention of this election, and I'm sure even more so locally. Nationally, you, you had to be completely blind not to know where this election was going to be decided. And, and so if you're somebody who was living in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, one of the, or even Georgia, Arizona, you knew, oh, my gosh, our votes are really important. And, oh, my gosh, if you're in the black community, it was our community that was blamed for not showing up in Michigan and Wisconsin in 2016 and therefore giving Donald Trump the presidency. And so the voter turnout was greater. Again, Malins had a huge part in that. But the number one stat to me that disproves the idea that there was anything remotely fraudulent about this is that in Philadelphia, which is the epicenter of the supposed voter fraud conspiracy theory in the most important state, Pennsylvania, my former home state, grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I have no problem believing in Philadelphia corruption, trust me. But then in Philadelphia, Donald Trump got bigger vote totals and a higher percentage of the vote in 2020 than he did in 2016. Correct. How the fuck is that remotely consistent with some sort of massive voter fraud? Because it's actually easier to lose votes than it is to create them. So if there was going to be some massive voter fraud that people would believe is that you would somehow erase Trump votes. But that's not what happened. But the turnout was greater, so the margin was greater. But but frankly, the margins even weren't all that different than 2016. It's just that Trump lost in every demographic by a slight margin compared to 2016. And it turned out that a a law, a win in 2016 for Trump turned into a loss. And it wasn't all that close. Last I checked, it's somewhere around 75,000 votes in Pennsylvania. It's not that close. But, of course, to the Trump people, one, the fact that he lost is inherently impossible to wrap their brains around because they kept telling me and others, oh, no, Trump's a sure winner. He's going to win the landslide. Sure, yeah, right, whatever. I kept telling everybody, good luck with that. That's not going to happen. But the way that it went down on an election night, I guess this is the way tiny minds work. The way that people experienced it on election night facilitated it, uh, a, a, a very, it being very easy for them to believe that something wasn't right. And it's for reasons that I find to be comical, but Trump is really playing on those reasons. The number one reason, I guess, is that the numbers came in overnight and that they came in in large numbers. And this was an issue that he raised in this crazy Maria Bartiroma interview. And here's what that sounded like. And what happened, if you watched the election, I was called by the biggest people uh, saying, congratulations, political people. Congratulations, sir. You just won the election. It was 10 o'clock and you looked at the numbers and I'm sure you felt that way. This election was over. And then they did dumps. They call them dumps, big, massive dumps. Uh, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, 
and uh, uh, all over. Big, massive dumps. Yeah, this election was a big, massive dump when it comes to Donald Trump. There's no question about that. Uh, This is not complicated nor remotely nefarious either, though I guess uh, Trump's fans, this resonates with them. And I, I get, you know, the emotional roller coaster that people went on. I mean, I remember my own wife. Uh, election night was almost literally dancing, thinking that Trump had won. I told her, no, 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 no. He has not won. Uh, there's there's nothing here in the numbers that indicates that he has won. This is a disparity between polling data, data of people going to the actual polls, voting in person on election day, and the fact that they haven't counted the mail-in votes yet. And I'm the first to acknowledge It was really dumb on the part of these local authorities to, one, not warn people more forcefully that this is the way that the votes were going to be counted because expectations are everything in life. I mean, there was some of that, but there was not nearly enough of it to to educate people that, hey, wait a minute, be prepared. These numbers are going to come in in a weird way because it's not just that we have mail-in voting in a far, far greater number than we've ever had before. But we, and this is the key to the whole thing, which for some reason, I mean, I, I know why, because it destroys Trump's whole argument, but Trump never mentions this, even though you know he knows it. There was an inherent, fundamental, dramatic disparity in political party and their view of the dangers of going to the polls. It's not a conspiracy. Democrats are all in on shutting down the world because of COVID. Republicans are not. So guess who is going to vote by mail far in far greater numbers? Democrats, obviously. This is not complicated. It's, it's totally understandable. And so when you count the election day votes first, because they're done in a way that's far easily counted, more easily counted, and then you start bringing in these dumps, these massive dumps of mail-in votes. Well, those are all Democratic votes, especially in heavily Democratic cities, especially among the black community. So this is not this is not complicated. This is not difficult to understand. Of course, Maria Bartiromer just sits there with this crazy, crazy look on her face like, uh, oh, wow, boy, you're right, Mr. President. This is this is outrageous. You know, and of course, it happened in the middle of the night. What the fuck difference? It was what time it is. What, what difference does it make what time the, the voter massive dumps came in? Is it somehow nefar- more nefarious that it happened at, at 4 or 6 o'clock in the morning? What, the, people stopped counting. They took a break. They got some sleep. They got back up. And then they started counting again. This is not difficult to understand. But unless, of course, you're a big Trump fan. I love the poorly educated. And then, So what does all this mean? Well, Trump. Did not hold back in this batshit crazy interview on the ultimate conclusions of what happened in this election, making it very clear that the president of the United States believes that the election was rigged, it was stolen, and that even his own Department of Justice might be in on the conspiracy. This is total fraud. And how the FBI and Department of Justice, I don't know, maybe they're involved. But how people are allowed to get away from this stuff with this stuff is unbelievable. This election was rigged. This election was a total fraud. And it continues to be 
as they hide. And the problem we have, we go to judges and uh, people don't want to get involved. <laughs> I love that. So, so Trump's theory, <laughs> Trump's theory is that the conspiracy against him, I guess this was the same conspiracy uh, that caused the entire Russian investigation. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, that there's this big deep state conspiracy that his own Department of Justice is is part of to make sure that he loses re-election, that even the judges themselves, some of whom he appointed, his own appointed judges who are not elected, they're there for life. These people just don't want to get involved because, you know, most judges really hate high-profile cases, I'll tell you. They, they, re they really hate uh, high-profile cases that would help the guy that appointed them to their lifelong position. That, that's just, it's absurd. It's just flat-out ridiculous. And, and it doesn't even pass the laugh test. Nor does this idea, and it's not laughable because it's incredibly serious, the president of the United States accusing the FBI and the Department of Justice of effectively taking part in a conspiracy to steal or rig an election. What? You cannot be serious! But that's where we are, and, and I guess, and this is how I started the show, I guess the most amazing thing is how little impact this is having on real life. It's like we're watching a reality TV show, and thankfully, the vast majority of the American people don't seem to care. It's all like entertainment. It's not real. Because if this was real, if, and if Trump really believed this, and I'm, I'm convinced that Trump doesn't really believe this. I am convinced that Trump does not really believe this. Partially because, you know, he started with the pardons. If he really believed it, he wouldn't be starting with the pardons yet. There's no need to do the pardons yet. If you really believe you won or that you're going to be declared the winner. I mean, I, I think this is mostly a temper tantrum on his part. I think this is kind of therapeutic for him. He's going through the mourning process of having lost. He's trying to come up with excuses. Uh, it's a bid for money. My God, the amount of money that they're raking in from these dupes that are that are uh, you know thinking that they're trying to save the American way of life and the Constitution and, and prevent an election from being stolen. You know, all, all that money is coming in and where's it going? I don't have any trust for that at all. He's also paving this this narrative for his future that I didn't really lose. And this gives me an excuse to run again in 2024. So I, I don't believe that Donald Trump really thinks that the election was rigged. He's doing a con. And unfortunately, that con is very effective because of the nature of his base. And, and, and this is a guy who thinks he can pull off anything. With me, it's just works. You know, it's magic. Which, at least with the base. At least with the Trump cult 45. I love the poorly educated. Because all, they don't need it from a mainstream news media source. Heck, even Fox News Channel is now deemed to, to no longer be credible to these people. All they have to do is, is you know, see it on some batshit crazy pro-Trump website. All I know is what's on the Internet. So credibility doesn't matter anymore. And so Trump's run on a con here, in my opinion. And, and it's, it's remarkable that it's being both effective with his cult but not impacting everyday life. Because if we really had a situation where the president of the United States was declaring that the election was rigged against him and he really won, 
there should be civil unrest. There should be riots in the streets. I mean, there was the one day of the million more on March. Uh, you know, even that was not that big of a deal. But other than that, there's been very little indication uh, of this being real. I mean, and other than other than a couple of shows on Fox News Channel, even Fox News Channel has completely moved on. Bill Barr, Bill Barr. Donald Trump's own attorney general, who's acted like his personal lawyer through all through thick and thin, especially the, the Russian investigation. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Has actually said, yeah, actually, no, um, you know, it doesn't seem to be any indication of any widespread election fraud. And Trump and his cronies are going after Bill Barr now. When you've lost Bill Barr, when you've lost Bill Barr, I mean, when, when Bill Barr is not considered enough on your side come on people you cannot be serious and in, in speaking of bar i mean he's actually thrown trump a bone by naming a special counsel to investigate the Mueller special counsel investigation uh, i'm not gonna get into that which i have i have no doubt is going to lead to nothing legitimate but it's simply another act of loyalty by the attorney general bill barr on behalf of Donald Trump, so that there can be doubt raised about the origins of the Russian investigation. And, and my view on the Russian investigation is that it was completely legitimate, that, uh, that Mueller did a lousy job with it, that there may not have been actual, quote-unquote, collusion with Russia, but there were all sorts of crimes that were committed, especially in the realm of obstruction and perjury on the part of Donald Trump in his answers to Robert Mueller. And that in a rational world, Donald Trump would have been impeached and removed from office with Republican votes because of what happened in the Russian investigation. Does that mean that the media didn't blow it on Russia? No, the media did a terrible job on Russia, created expectations for Robert Mueller, which were completely out of control and unrealistic, which I said constantly leading up to it. And, and Mueller, who I always thought was going to underperform, was even worse than I could have possibly ever imagined. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. And Bill Barr did his part. Bill Barr played a huge role. And I got to say, I was probably the first and most enthusiastic person to say that Bill Barr absolutely sabotaged the Robert Mueller conclusions and the Mueller report and that he did so for nefarious purposes. And that and that was effectively ended up being proven true. But that played a huge role in the narrative, because for the first couple of weeks before we started to find out any of the real facts, everything got discircuited. Everything was was completely muted. Everything was the whole thing was castrated. Barr did an amazing job on behalf of Trump there from a PR perspective. But the attorney general of the United States is not supposed to be the the PR agent of the president to discredit or sabotage legitimate investigations against him. So, so Bill Barr is the most loyal attorney general that you could possibly imagine to really a scandalous degree. And even he has said that he's, there's no indication of massive voter fraud in this election. So I don't really believe that Trump truly thinks that he won this election I do believe it's a temper tantrum. I do believe it's a therapy session for him. I do believe it's a bid for money. I do believe he's paving the future for a, at least the pretend 
2024 campaign. I'm hoping that it's a pretend 2024 campaign, but it would not surprise me at all. I think he is the heavy favored to be the Republican nominee in 2024, partially because of this narrative that he's creating, that he was robbed, and that because he got so many more votes than any other incumbent president ever has, uh, that therefore he deserves another shot at it. And it certainly looks as if his health is going to be good enough. Uh, in 2024, it'll probably be better than Joe Biden's. I think there's I actually think <laughs> that there is a better chance that Donald Trump is running for president in 2024 on the Republican ticket than there is that uh, Joe Biden will be running for reelection on the Democratic ticket in 2024. That would be an interesting bet. If you gave me that bet. I take Trump. And I'm not happy about it at all. And 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 that that was even before you know Joe Biden suddenly breaks his leg while playing with his dog. What? 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 How? How is that normal? How? You're just about to take on the biggest job in the world at, at an already elderly age, and you're breaking your leg while playing with your dog. It, uh, wow. Uh, this this is not going to go well from a health perspective with regard to Joe Biden. There is there is no chance, and I said this from the beginning, there is literally very, very small chance that Joe Biden is going to run for re-election. He's going to do this one term, and then Kamala Harris is going to be the Democratic nominee in 2024. And unfortunately, I see Trump, as of right now, all things being equal and presuming good health, uh, he will be the favorite, and he knows that. And, you know, what's one of the more bizarre, there's so many bizarre things happening, but one of the more bizarre aspects of what has transpired over the last couple of weeks, and I realize that since the election is over, no one really is paying much attention to these numbers, but occasionally polling units still do polls on Trump's approval rating. And something really bizarre has happened with Donald Trump's approval ratings. They've actually gone up. They have gone up in the last couple of weeks. You cannot be serious. The president of the United States, whining like a child, claiming massive election fraud, claiming a huge conspiracy against him, claiming that the election was rigged, claiming the election was stolen, has not impacted the public's view of him at all. And, and, and it's possible, may have even improved it. Now, part of that could be you know, now that he's no longer a threat to win re-election, people's view of him has changed a little bit. I mean, that's that there is a phenomenon there. You know, the, there's even a regret phenomenon that's happened in previous elections. I don't know if that would be in play here. There are possible explanations for that, but I'm stunned. The America I thought I was living in, which clearly doesn't exist based upon all sorts of elements of 2020, a president whining like this would have been wildly unpopular, even among his own political party. But that's not the case here. I guess people see him fighting. Republicans see him fighting for what they delusionally think is their cause. It's not their cause. He's not fighting for election transparency or, or uh, you know, for free and fair elections. That's not what Donald Trump is fighting for. Donald Trump is fighting for his own narrative to excuse why he got his ass kicked. That's what happened here. And why he got his ass kicked is, is still getting lost, and I'm sure will get totally lost in, in history. I mean, even Brad Parscale, uh, his one-time campaign manager who got demoted and then 
got involved in this bizarre situation that uh, was perceived as a potential suicide attempt uh, with his, with, I guess, with his wife. Uh, he did an interview and said that the reason why Trump lost was that he didn't follow my plan and that he should have embraced the lockdowns on COVID more. If he had, he would have won in a landslide. What? It's just flat out ridiculous. That's, that is absurd. Now, I will give him some small credit, and that is my number one theme about why Trump lost is he couldn't pick a narrative on COVID. So, you know, he probably would have been better off going in one extreme or the other. And so maybe he would have been better off if he had decided to go full in on the lockdowns on COVID. I don't think that would have worked. I don't think that hurt him at all because I think he would have lost a lot of Republican votes if he had done that. Uh, But at least he would have, you know, had a a better shot than what he did because he basically picked the worst path path possible. He, He pleased basically nobody on the issue of COVID response. And yet he still got, you know, whatever, 77 million votes or something, or somewhere in the 70 million vote category most ever for an incumbent most ever for a Republican, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But I I found that that scenario, that theory that Trump would have won in a a landslide if he had just simply embraced the lockdowns is utterly ridiculous uh, and absurd. and, And by the way, with regard to lockdowns, as America is now locking down again with this massive surge in cases that's not resulting yet in a huge increase in deaths. Yes, there's an increase in deaths, but percentage-wise, it's it's not a, a massive increase yet. It will continue to go up, I believe. I predicted this on Twitter a week or so ago. It will probably hit 2,000 a day, hopefully briefly, in the next week or so. I, I'm hoping at that point it then goes back down. Uh, but we're not. I do not believe we're going to hit anything close to the worst doomsday predictions. We never do. We never have. Hardly ever have. Um, but but the reality is that as America now decides, well, we need to lock down again. Trump doesn't give a shit. Trump doesn't give a shit, and he's still technically president of the United States. He's not even. He's even stopped talking about this issue, and, and which goes to this whole topic, which I've bought, I, I battled with my own eight-year-old daughter about. My eight-year-old daughter, you may recall, wrote, wrote a, a poster urging people to vote for Trump because she thought that that was the path to freedom, that she didn't want to be locked up like a zoo animal anymore. She wanted Disneyland to be open. I tried to tell her, Trump being reelected is not the path to getting your freedom back. I understand why people think that, but it's not. And part of that is because he doesn't really give a shit. And he has no power to change it because liberals will never go along with Donald Trump saying the pandemic is over. They'll only go along if a Democrat says the pandemic is over and they can take credit for ending the virus. Correct. That's the reality of this. It's all politics, especially for liberals who frankly love the lockdowns. They, they love it. It's government saving their lives. It, it gives them an excuse for why their lives suck. It punishes people whose lives are way better than them. The, the, plus, they're all scaredy cats to begin with. And they can't do basic math. So they, they love the fucking lockdowns, especially when it's done by Democrats, because they trust them. Oh, especially with Donald Trump being president. Oh, Trump can't be trusted, but we can we can trust our Democratic governor to protect us, even though none of these things have worked at all. And then, frankly, this massive recent surge should have proven that should have proven that none of these lockdown methods work, that masks don't work, 
they, they, we have very little of any control over the virus. This is just what happens with a virus, at least until you get a decent vaccine. And so Trump hasn't done anything about this, hasn't even tried to do anything about it. He barely even ever mentions it because he doesn't give a shit because it's all about him because he knows he's leaving and he knows he's not going to be president anymore. And so, you know, to me, this is we, we learn a lot after an election. You won't learn a lot after. It's kind of like after a divorce or a firing. You learn a lot about people. Well, you learn a lot about people in an election. Trump doesn't give a shit about the, the, the lockdowns because it doesn't really impact him. And as far as the lockdowns are concerned, you know, there's supposedly good news with these multiple vaccines being incredibly successful. To me, the vaccine situation is the last chance to save America as we knew it. And I'm not optimistic, which is ironic because, you know, by all accounts, these vaccines are going to be great, unprecedentedly effective. It should wipe this whole thing out. I mean, in a rational world, as soon as any significant portion of the population has access to a vaccine, all these these regulations, these restrictions, these lockdowns ought to automatically end because at that moment it's impossible. It's impossible, especially when a huge portion of the population has already been infected. It's impossible for the hospitals, which have never been overwhelmed to begin with, to ever get overwhelmed. And that supposedly was the basis for all this thing, the whole flatten the curve lie. And so if that's really what this was about, then immediately after a vaccine is even marginally available, this should all end. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because this is all now political and the authoritarians, they see the blood in the water. They've gotten almost no blowback for any of this, even here in California, where we're bracing for another lockdown for no apparent reason since our hospital levels haven't even budged. Our numbers of people in the hospital supposedly with COVID have gone up, but not actual people in the hospital so there's, there's no danger of hospitals being overwhelmed. They keep predicting that they're going to happen. It's, it, there's been predictions about this from the beginning. It's never happened. It's the boy who cries wolf. And it's just a justification for authoritarian dictators and tyrants and fascists like our governor here in California and others to get away with doing something that they bizarrely enjoy doing. And they get no blowback from the, from the media, and they get almost no blowback from the public, especially in deep blue states where, again, liberals seem to love these lockdowns. And so when this vaccine is widely available, whether it's in January, February, March, whatever, that's going to be the moment when we decide, okay, are, are we going back to normal or are we no longer America? And my bet is unfortunately on the latter. I don't think we're going back to normal. Even though we, I mean, I've never believed that, that any of these restrictions work anyway. I think they they create far more collateral damage than good that they do. And I think this most recent surge has proven that. But we have completely lost all rationality. We've completely lost all, all sense of logic. The media has censored one entire side of the story. And I just don't see even with a 95% effective vaccine, how they're going to let this opportunity go. Once you've gotten this kind of power, you're never going to give it up. Human beings are never going to give up that kind of power. And, you know, I, I think that there'll be some improvement because Biden's going to want to want to declare victory at some point and get credit for it. But it's going to be at least several months, I still believe, 
that it's going to be June or July before there's any semblance of normalcy in America, because at that point, uh, Biden can plausibly claim, hey, I was able to do what Trump couldn't. I think most people will understand, well, you, you had a vaccine. Trump didn't have that. Uh, but that's going to be the way this goes down, in my, in my view. And I, I'm, I am incredibly and increasingly pessimistic about whether or not America is ever going to be able to recover from that. I have friends who tell me, oh, no, no, this is going to be a blip in the historical radar. I say, well, I wish. I wish that was the case. Uh, I, I call bullshit on that. I, I think this is a sea change. I think America died in 2020 and and at the bat it might be able to be revived by this vaccine miracle it should be easily but we're too stupid we're too emotionally invested in this bullshit narrative uh, to ever come back from that so on that very optimistic note uh, i want to give you a heads up about where we're headed with the podcast we will probably do four or five more episodes depending on what happens with the Georgia runoffs and whether or not Trump ever concedes. But my, my plan is to do uh, three episodes, including this one in December and maybe two or three more in January leading up to Joe Biden's inauguration. One of those will be an Ask John Anything episode. So stay tuned for that. Looking forward to your questions for one last Ask John Anything. As is always the case, please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual the number one pod. That's at individual the number one pod. My name is John Ziegler. Until next week, this is the Global Story Network. <laughs>